Hello, and welcome to Gradually, Gradually, Then Suddenly, an interview series with leaders in higher education, healthcare, and technology to discuss current issues and how technology and data are shaping our world. My name is Tommy Andriola, and I'm the Vice Chancellor for Information Technology and Data at University of California, Irvine. My guest today is Dr. Doug Haynes, the Vice Chancellor for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the University of California at Irvine. As a campus's Chief Diversity Officer, Dr. Haynes leads UCI's efforts to be a national model of inclusive excellence for its students, faculty, and staff. Dr. Haynes oversaw the creation of the office in 2016 and works with university leaders to improve the capacity for diversity and gender equity. We're excited to have him as our guest today and to speak on how his role at UCI has developed and how campuses need to be a place for not just inclusion, but in today's current events, anti-racism. Dr. Haynes, welcome. Thank you, Tom, and please call me uh, Doug. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank your listeners, too, for hanging in there. Oh, all right. Well, thank you. Okay. Well, hey, to get things started today, um, can you talk us a little bit? I know your role is somewhat unique, especially being a vice chancellor. Can you talk a little bit about your role, the main things it does, and how it's evolved? Yeah, and I think it's really quite uh, intriguing in the sense that the position is relatively new. I am the inaugural vice chancellor for equity, diversity, and inclusion, and I started last June. And it really grew out of um, a priority of Chancellor Gilman to really ensure that the campus is truly accelerating an inclusive excellence enterprise. And so that extends to not only our students, graduate students, undergraduates, faculty and staff and alum, and the communities that we interface with. And so the the office really is about creating a culture where everyone expects equity, supports diversity, practice inclusion, and honors free speech. And I think those principles of inclusive excellence, I think most people resonate with What we try to do on campus is to build people's capacity to purposefully practice them. Excellent. I know that, um, you know, as you develop the role, has the role turned out the way you thought it was going to be? Or have there been some curveballs along the way? I have to admit, Tom, uh, I think the word curveball is perfect because it was new as the inaugural vice chancellor, um, but it was familiar in the sense that I know many people here at UCI, they're wonderful colleagues and students. And the real challenge was, how do we sort of create a learning organization uh, for so many different people who come to UCI essentially for the same reason, to advance our research, teaching, and service mission? And so over time, I've had to listen a lot, learn even more, and then start developing an action plan that we all can sort of participate in to push the campus forward. There have been curveballs, but I have to say, I tend to learn a lot more when I have to face a curveball. Yeah, that is the case, isn't it? You know, um, we've all been gripped by current events. um, And it's amazing as you talk to people, reactions are so different uh, depending on your, your, your circumstances and where you come from. You know, in this whole uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion space, you know, being a technology professional, technology industry has been one of the worst when it has come to uh, 
equity issues, inclusion over, over time. And, you know, I've done a lot of my time with the university to try to bring this to light, especially as a, as a white male in a position of power. I, I try to lean in on the topic. Um, but can you talk a little bit about, from your perspective, what you feel we're dealing with, you know, in today's current environment and what we're confronted with as a society? You know, I really appreciate that that question, Tom, because I think what we're confronting as a society is change in continuity. The continuity is, in some sense, the persistence of anti-Black racism, in this case, in reference to the criminal justice system. But I think when we look also at the scale and scope and intensity of the protests in support of Black lives and against policing practices is really a recognition that the the policing incidents that we see really represent the top of an iceberg of injustice that sort of manifests itself in educational opportunity, access to wealth production, the economy, to even uh, healthcare and healthcare outcomes, uh, among others. And so there's a tremendous a lot uh, to this set of protests that I describe as a reckoning in the country around anti-Black racism. And we have many precedents for this type of expression, uh, riots that occurred 1965 in Watts, in 1968 after the assassination of Martin Luther King, uh, 1992, after the exoneration of the police officers who beat Rodney King, uh, 2014 in Ferguson. And so we've seen this before. But the change, the change is the scale and scope and intensity of the protests and the diversity of the protests. And so I like to think we're close to a inflection point about how we as a society and campus really works to create a culture where people thrive. And now that's going to take some work, Tom. You know, I I think that there is a tremendous number of people who are personally committed to diversity and, and equity and inclusion. But I think in order to dismantle the anti black sentiment will take uh, really a willingness to learn and to be purposeful in how we choose to, you know, be a member of this UCI community, for that matter, any organization. Yeah, you and I were talking about this earlier, Doug. You know, we like to think of ourselves in higher education, especially public higher education with our mission in that, you know, we we embody and, you know, we, we make great efforts to make create a more diverse society to be very inclusive. Mm-hmm. Lo- looking at current events outside and then looking at our campus, I mean, do you do you feel that the that our campus is doing a better job on this issue, the same as broader society or, or worse than broader society? What's your perspective at this point? I think that in some ways we are, in other ways we're not. So I think, for example, in the ways that we are is the relentless and intensive focus of broadening participation into UCI's wonderful academic program. There's so many indicators that sort of indicate that commitment and uh, achievement 
you know, the number of first generation low income students that we educate, the fact that we're a Hispanic serving institution, uh, the, the fact that we are, are committed to growing the participation of African-Americans in our undergraduate and graduate programs, that we're increasing the hiring of African-Americans in the professoriate, right? That our leadership uh, is changing, is looking a lot like the state and the country. There's still room for improvement, but I think we need to acknowledge where progress has been made. I think where it hasn't been made is mobilizing the organization to really get at some nagging issues, such as a sense of belonging. And so on the one hand, we're wildly diverse. I mean, by any dimension of diversity, sexual orientation, gender expression, race, ethnicity, immigration status, uh, disability, uh, you name it. But the real challenge for large organizations, and this is true for large organizations and the not-for-profit for profit is creating a sense of community where people feel they can trust each other and that they're able to be their best selves. And I think that is the fundamental challenge that we face precisely because we've been so successful for the most part in achieving compositional diversity. Um, and that requires becoming a learning organization you know, understanding who our population is. How do we know if they, if they are experiencing a sense of belonging? Are they sort of achieving their professional and career goals? And that requires a real commitment to listening and matching needs to resources. You know, Doug, you, uh, you wrote a message, actually wrote several messages out to our campus community there was a passage you wrote that I wanted to ask you about when we had you today. You were, you were referring to accountability and you said, quote, recognizing the invisible and uncredited emotional labor that black men and women expend to learn, teach, discover, and work. Can you expand on that for our listeners and what that really means so that, that we can gain a better understanding of that? Thank you, Tom. And and that passage is, I think, particularly significant because what it refers to is the gap between being part of an organization and being of the organization. And in order to reconcile that difference requires an individual, in this case, a black person, to constantly code switch to constantly make up the um, lack of attention um, that is specific to them. Uh, for example, uh, being accessible uh, to people who feel that they don't know their way around the organization, and you go out of your way as a black person to help them because you want them to be successful. And so that's the type of labor that takes place that often is unknown, uncredited, but has become almost a tax for African-Americans to both join 
and thrive within predominantly white uh, or, or organizations that have very few black people. And I, I wanted to put that in writing because I think it's part of the sort of tacit knowledge that's out there, but very few people are aware of. Right. Now, I know our chancellor has uh, really tasked you to lead the response in the uh, programmatic action plan around um, anti-blackness. Uh, you've already had rolled out with your office pillars for inclusive excellence. How is what you're going to do with anti-blackness? How is it different or how does it align? You know, I mean, what, what do you expect? I know you're still building those plans and bringing, you know, uh, resources across the university together. But how do you expect it to dovetail or differ from your, your, uh, your pillars that you've already um, exposed? Well, I, I think that's it's an extremely important question because underlying what we're doing is organizational change. And the Inclusive Excellence Action Plan consists of, you know, three large sort of pillars, community, thriving, and wellness. And after consulting widely with different campus constituencies and stakeholders and partners, we arrived at those three pillars as part of our culture as an organization, where we need to create community for people to feel they belong. And that is crucial for people to experience a sense of thriving in their career and their learning. And they must also experience wellness. When you look at those three pillars uh, as the sort of foundation, the plans that we have for the um, African-American initiative, you know, really aligns with it because you know, we want to sort of address a sense of belonging uh, for all populations, including African-American populations. We definitely want people to thrive. And that also applies to African-Americans. And we feel that wellness is something that all members of the campus community should enjoy. And for that reason, we also sort of link uh, planned activities around promoting a greater sense of wellness that can take many forms and expressions. But ultimately what we wanted to do was to focus campus attention on the African-American population. And in so doing, I think we are accelerating our inclusive access action plan, while at the same time addressing a community that in many ways doesn't feel they belong. Powerful. Thank you. All right, Doug, last question. And you and I talked about this a little bit, right? Um, you know, I'm known for, you know, what I call my 1% model. Um, and you're going to get, you're going to get the 1% question today. Yeah. So be, but let me, let me set it up a little bit, right? Um, you know, this topic, you know, when, when we're talking diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, it calls me to task as a leader that, you know, I am not silent, but vocal on this issue. Uh, and so, but I, but I also know and, and, and truly believe that, you know, that, that real movement, real change in the way people think and behave is not a top-down journey, right? It really is a bottom, bottoms-up journey. Mm -hmm. And people have heard me say 10,000 people all trying to do 1% better tomorrow over any charismatic 
a visionary leader on stage trying to 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 lead the group in a certain direction, right? Give me the one percent change in mass numbers to really make you know to to really make change happen. And so, if you think about then this, right? I mean, I I ask myself this every day. I'll ask members of our community every day to say, "How are you trying to be one percent better on this topic?" So, if you could leave our listeners with your maybe top two, three things that we can do personally to get better on, on the anti, anti-blackness topic. Well, Tom, I just want to think, I think the 1% model is a, is a powerful tool because ultimately creating a culture where African-Americans thrive at UCI, for that matter, any organization is organized around choice that we have to choose as a community to confront anti-Black racism as a precondition to creating a thriving culture. And so there are four things I just want to sort of suggest. I want to offer, I want to invite folks. The first thing is acknowledging how anti-Black racism manifests itself in society. And that involves learning more about it. The second is committing to learn about and advance skills that are about curtailing implicit biases in anti-Black racism in all forms. That it's a skill. Just as you're learning, you're educating yourself, you're also learning a skill about recognizing implicit biases and how to interrupt them. And this has applications in multiple populations. We also think looking at data and evidence, rather than having this be since a intuitive uh, uh, or reactive uh, response that we are learning, educating ourselves, uh, equipping ourselves new competencies, but we're also looking at data and evidence to better understand how our organization is doing. And finally, engaging with members of the black community is so important to acknowledge, but also to be in a better position to make visible their contributions to the organization. And and Tom, I just want to end on this final point. When you think of the Black community, I want you to think of the diversity within it. There are Black gay men and women, transgender, queer, first-generation low-income, veterans, disabled. And so in addressing anti-Black racism to create a culture where the African-Americans thrive, you're really addressing the range and dimensions of diversity that really characterize all great organizations. So it really comes down to valuing the individual, because at the end of the day, we are all individuals. Exactly. Exactly. Dr. Haynes, I really want to thank you for, for being here today. Uh, you, you are an, our inaugural podcast member, and, and there couldn't be a more important topic to spend a few minutes to talk about today than this one. It's gripping our society. It is something that we systematically have to root out of not only our behaviors, but the way that we think uh, within our society. So I really want to thank you for being here today, for sharing your perspective and your plans for us. And I really look forward to, to being your partner as, as, we, as we move UCI forward and, and, and hopefully broader society. Thank you. 
Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate it. And thank your audience for hanging in and listening to us. To all you out there, be safe and we'll be back with you soon.